Well, our scripture reading for today is from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and chapter 30, verses 1 through 4. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. The words of Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this summer, uh, we're doing a sermon series on the book of Proverbs called Wisdom for Living. And so last week, uh, Matt set the table very ably, even though I didn't even read all the verses of the scripture he was supposed to read. Sorry about that. I don't know if he'll ever let me live that down, but that's okay. That's okay. He was going to jokingly just sort of leave out some verses this morning to see how I would deal with that situation. And so thank you, Matt, for, for following through. I appreciate that. But so he talked about, and he ended with a point last week um, to say that the book of Proverbs invites us to understand wisdom, not so much as, as a what, but a who, as wisdom is embodied in lady wisdom in the book of Proverbs, but then also Jesus Christ as God's wisdom. And he shared the words of that great German biblical scholar, Gerhard von Rad who said that wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life, and that uh, wisdom is what guides us through the the messiness of life. And so what's called wisdom literature in the Bible, it it occupies a a small but but an important place in the Old Testament. You know, people would include in those books, uh, for sure, the Song of Songs, and and even the Psalms, but but especially when we think of wisdom literature, we're thinking of books like Job and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. And of these three, Proverbs in particular is actually the most positive, the most optimistic when it comes to uh, thinking about our ability to acquire wisdom so that we can live wisely. And, and, I, and I saw this picture on the internet last week, um, just so happened, and I think it captures this, uh, this, this greatly. So, uh, John, if you could pop that up on the thing. So, this is how someone on the internet pictured. This is the family of wisdom literature. You know, you can see the other books are, are very gothic, and, uh, and you, then you see just the sunny, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed proverbs. And so, uh, and so, I thought that picture was too good not to share. You know, the, uh, the, the, the Ecclesiastes and Job, and you can take it down, uh, John, Ecclesiastes, and Job, they're, they're like the wizened guy, you know, leaning up against the wall, smoking a cigarette, saying, I've seen things, man. I, I, I've seen things. 
And Proverbs is, is the bright-eyed student. She's sitting there uh, taking notes and listening and, and ready to give it her best shot. And one of the wonderful things about Scripture is that it contains both of these pictures, both of these voices, both the pessimist and the optimist. And it's, it's not a contradiction, it's, it's a paradox. Because life, existence, is paradoxical. We need to listen to the pessimist. But we can't be too quick to dismiss the optimist, which I believe is one of the temptations of this age and this culture, or at least it is for me, right? I'm worried that if I get a little bit too optimistic, if I set my expectations a little too high, if I trust a little too much in the common sense, well then, boom, the other shoe will drop, uh, the exception will rear its ugly head, and I will be proved as a fool or a sucker. It would be false to deny, though, that the Proverbs really sets forth a vision of, of the good life that says, in effect, that if we live in step, in harmony with God's wisdom, then things are going to go well for us. I mean, even in our passage, it says, honor your God with the first fruits, and your vats will be filled with wine. You know, someone could accuse uh, Solomon in the Proverbs of, you know, this is prosperity theology. It says, if you live, in effect, in, in, in step with God's wisdom, things will go well for you. But as a general principle, this seems almost incontrovertible. If you work hard, behave trustworthily, uh, live with integrity, study diligently, are, are compassionate and merciful towards the poor and needy, and are reverential, then you increase your odds of living a fulfilling life. Virtue, in this sense, seems to be its own reward. It's like in some of the social science literature, they talk about something called the success sequence. And so that says that if you graduate from high school, and then you get a full-time job, and then you get married before you have kids, if, if the people who follow the success sequence, um, you have a 97% chance, and this is true for the United States of America, you have a 97% chance of not living below the poverty line. You hear that and you go, but okay, but what about the exceptions. And yes, what about them? Those are important. The exceptions are important, as is the fate of those who don't follow that sequence. But all that to say, if I were advising someone, hey, what's the best path to follow so that I can have my best shot at a prosperous life? The success sequence is it's the conventional wisdom for a reason. The odds are it's going to work. And now the same applies, I think, for the book of Proverbs, except instead of being, you know, the conventional wisdom, this is the covenantal wisdom. This is wisdom that comes from, from living in, in sync with the way that God has created and ordered the world, living in harmony with how God made us and what God made us for. Yes, there are the exceptions, but here we see the rules. Uh, another Old Testament scholar, uh, Walter Brueggemann, puts it this way when he's talking about wisdom and wisdom literature. He says this, put more broadly, wisdom teaching is creation theology, a reflection upon lived experience in an attempt to discern the regularities of life that are taken to be the ordering of reality that the Creator God decreed and guaranteed. And so the the wisdom offered by Proverbs, it, it's, it's not like the rules that we see in the laws of Moses, you know, which are kind of case law and, and, and how do you deal with various circumstances or, or legal disputes. It, it, it's more like these principles for living 
well. It's, 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 it's teaching on the art of living a good life. That's what it is, the teaching on the art of living a good life. Let me just break that apart. So first of all, it's teaching. And the whole context for the book of, of Proverbs is, you know, listen, my son, or listen, my children. It's this idea of, of wisdom being uh, something that's passed on from one generation to the next. Uh, wish, wisdom is a form of traditioning, and that Latin word for, for tradition just means passing on or handing on. And so, so wisdom is, is something that's handed on from one generation to the next. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's hard one, and, and so it's something to be, to be preserved and then handed on to the next generation. And it's about the art of living well. So that, you know, wisdom is not a science. You can't abstract it uh, from lived reality. You, you can't put it under a microscope. You can't put it under a, a, a test tube. It's, it's artistic. And it's also about the good life, the, the with God life, what, what the book of Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. Or to put it in terms of, you know, one of my favorite statements of what is the purpose of of, of human life, you know, to glorify God, to enjoy God. That's what Proverbs is trying to teach us. How do we glorify and enjoy God um, with how we think and, and how we uh, act and how we treat other people? And one, one last bit on what's a helpful definition of wisdom or way to think about wisdom. It does not come from Scripture, but it's a, it's a folk saying, an American folk saying that I think is, is very good. So, and how does wisdom differ from just kind of head knowledge or information? You know, and, and it goes like this. Maybe you've heard it before. But, uh, you know, information, knowledge is knowing that well, a tomato is a fruit. But wisdom is knowing that you don't put it in a fruit salad. Right? That, that shows the, 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 the difference, that it's about the art of knowing how to live. And then there's this question of why are we studying the book of Proverbs this summer? And the answer for that is over the course of these past 14, uh, 15 months now, if there's anything that I have seen, it's the need for myself and for us as Christians, as we face uh, unprecedented, <laughs> challenging circumstances, the, the, the tumult, the turmoil that's all around us, it's that challenge to how do we live faithfully? How do we live well in circumstances which we have not anticipated or lived in before? How do we respond faithfully? And so we need wisdom on how to respond to the, the pandemic. You know, these questions, how do we, uh, you know, reopen? How do we do that? What do we do with adults? What do we, what do, we do with kids? How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we do this? That's something where there's no playbook for it. It requires wisdom. Right, how do we, uh, you know, with everything that's happened in Minneapolis since May 25th of last year uh, with George Floyd's murder, but, you know, then we've seen uh, continuing uh, situations. We see, you know, uh, the murder of Anaya Allen. How do we respond faithfully and wisely to the things that are happening in our city? I, I was even thinking on, you know, uh, the insanity of what happened at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. As I was thinking about preaching that next Sunday, I thought, how do I respond wisely? to this situation as a pastor. What do I say? Do I say something? And so in seeking to be a faithful follower of Jesus in uh, these unprecedented times, as I'm sure we're all sick of hearing them referred to, I have been awakened once again to my need for wisdom, for godly insight on how to live a good and faithful life amidst not just uncertainty, but, but, but insanity. And so this morning, we're going to see the, uh, the three simple rules, or uh, not rules, three simple principles 
uh, that, that we see in this passage for walking the path of wisdom. And the first is embracing limits. The second is trusting God. And the third is listening to Jesus. And so the first step on this path of wisdom is embracing limits. And so the heart of our passage, and this is maybe you'd be familiar with, with these words if you were familiar with Proverbs 3 at all. This is sort of like the money passage. This might be like the most famous passage of all in the book of Proverbs. And it's chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Now, right here, when I hear that, I want to give a, a shout out, Blair, to your, uh, your blessed mother, uh, uh, um, uh, Bethel. Uh, so Bethel was Blair's mom, a truly wonderful saint of this congregation. And this was one of her favorite passages, one of her favorite scriptures. And she actually used to volunteer up in the, up, up in the nursery and with the toddlers when I, when I was young. And uh, I remember I loved seeing Bethel so much. This is one of my favorite just memories about church is that I would call, Beth, I would call church Bethel's house. I would say, I want to go to Bethel's house. And little did I know that Bethel in Hebrew means the house of God. So from the mouths of babes, right? And let me just use that as an additional plug to volunteer in the children's ministry. We have a great crew who are up there. And, you know, think about it. That made as much of an impression upon me as, as a young kid as any sort of information I could have learned. And Bethel herself, um, yes, we want kids to know Scripture. We want kids to know things about God. We want them to have this head knowledge. But Bethel embodied kind of that, that godly wisdom of a woman who loved the Lord and who walked with him and who wanted to share that. And it, it, it just flowed out of her in an amazing way. And, uh, and I'm sure if you'd asked Bethel, she would have thought, well, I'm just up there. I love these kids. I'm just up there being with them. And so she didn't consider herself a great person but just by showing up and, and embodying that, that, that Christian love to us, she made a huge impression on so many of us. And so you can do that too. But back to that first point. Wisdom comes from embracing the limits of our knowledge. Because Scripture says here, it says, lean not on your own understanding. And that word for lean means literally like leaning on an object for support. And it's been said derisively that religion is it's a crutch for weak people, for weak-minded people. And I have to say that's 100% true. 100% true. Here's the truth. We're all weak-minded people. We're all weak-willed people. Our own understanding, our own resourcefulness, our own you know, cunning, guile, craftiness, uh, charm, intelligence, it cannot bear the weight of existence. Eventually, they're all going to fail us. Eventually, they will collapse under the weight of life. The essence of folly, of being a fool, is the arrogance that comes with thinking that we can make it on our own, that, that we can live by our, 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 our own rules, and that if we do so, you know, we're, we're liberating ourselves to live our best life. You know, sort of conventional, dull people, they need rules and principles, but I can do it on my own. So self-sufficiency, it's, it's a myth. Self-determination, total self-determination, it's a myth. Those are the, the crutches that we try to lean on that cannot bear the weight we place on them. Because at the end of the day, if you live long enough, life is going to knock you down. It's going to disabuse you of the notion that, that you're all that. 
or that you've got it all together or that you've got it all figured out. So wisdom starts with, with accepting that limitation, acknowledging our need for other people, our obligations to other people. Wisdom, wisdom starts with saying things like, I don't know. Could you help me understand? I'm not sure. And maybe the, this one might make you swallow hardest of all. I need help. And biblical wisdom is saying those things to God. Now, why is that so hard sometimes for some of us? I think we've bought into the false narrative that if you need help or you ask for help, that makes you a weak person, makes you less than. Or that if you say that you don't understand something or you're confused, that that makes you stupid or ignorant. What was so powerful about shifting from this, this egocentric view of life to, to really a God-centered one is, is that it opens us up to, to actually learning, to actually becoming uh, educated, which is itself a, a process of discovery, which is this essential aspect to wisdom, where we open ourselves up to, to delving deeper into the depths of God. I can't tell you how many times uh, over the course of this past year, you know, I've had to say some version of, I, I don't know, or I'm not sure what the right thing to do is. That's just been a constant refrain. You know, even as just a, you know, real talk, uh, you know, as we think about, all right, once the pandemic is over, whenever that is, like, what do we do with stream, you know, the live stream, stream for worship? Do we keep a live stream going? What role does that play in the worshiping life of our congregation going forward? I, I don't know. That's a question that we're wrestling, that I'm wrestling with, but that we're wrestling with as, as, as church leadership, you know, as we ask these questions, or it, it, does this just promote kind of Christianity as, as something that can be passively consumed via a screen? Or is it an evangelistic tool? Is it an outreach tool? Does it um, allow us to uh, I- include and accommodate people who otherwise would not be able to be a part of any church fellowship? These are the, the questions that we're wrestling with, that we need the exact type of thing that we need God's wisdom for. And so that path to wisdom it starts with embracing the limitations of our own understanding. Now, the next step, it's one of these points where it sounds so simple and so Sunday school that it's almost trite. Trust God, right? Who wouldn't say that? But it's not. The proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and in all your ways acknowledge him. And so the key to wisdom comes from that shift from trusting ourselves to trusting in God. And so at the most basic point, what does this mean? It means committing ourselves. It says trust in the Lord. So it's, it's, a, it's a particular theological understanding of God. The reason we trust in God is because God is not a higher power, a generic force. God is the God who we know in Scripture as Yahweh and in and through Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God is a benevolent deity. God is a God who desires good things for us. He's not sitting up there looking to zap us or smite us or laugh at us when we fall or fail. We trust God 
when we believe that God is who Scripture says He is, a faithful God, a just God, a holy God, a loyal God, a gracious God, a God who has laid down principles uh, not, not to oppress us, but to bless us. And so we trust God by doing what the proverb says, in all of our ways, acknowledging Him. And the Hebrew word for acknowledge is the same word to know. In, in, in all your ways, know Him, which means basically in, in everything that you do, seek to know God. And so how can we do that? It means looking at, at how to honor, know and, and honor God in every aspect of our lives. And then, so how do we come to know God? Again, here's where things get very simple. Back to first principles. We can study the, the book that he's given us individually and as a community because God has chosen to reveal himself to us in its words. And we show that trust by putting those words into practice. We know God through worship, through prayer, through serving others, through uh, whatever our job or vocation is. Um, by doing that with energy and intelligence and integrity, Right, by put, you, knowing what our gifts are and then putting them into practice for the glory of God and the good of other people. And so trusting God, if I were to break it down, I'd say it, it's this. It's, it's, it's knowledge plus obedience, which is just as uh, simple and as difficult as it sounds. But frankly, though, we don't, we don't have to search around, you know, and think, all right, what, what, what might this look like in practice? Actually, Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verse 9, it gives us an example right there of what is trusting God and knowing, acknowledging Him in all of our ways. What, what's one example of what that looks like? And so then it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And so here, what Proverbs is talking about is it's talking about that practice of, of tithing which in biblical times was not giving, there was no, not a lot of cash floating around there, so it's giving part of your agricultural produce, part of your, your crop, bringing it uh, with you as an act of worship. And it was supporting the, the, the Levitical priesthood because uh, the, the Levites, the, that one tribe, they had no land, so they didn't do any agriculture on their own. And so the whole temple ran on the tithes that came from the other tribes. And look what's being given. It says the first fruits... So that's like the first part of the harvest. So it's not waiting around to see what's left over after all of, uh, of, all of the harvest has come in where you see what you need and then sending the leftover portion on to the temple. Now the first fruits is the first stuff that pops out of the ground that can be harvested. And you see what a powerful example of trusting God this is. Right? You're trusting that in God's economy, there will always be enough for you. And I think that's why it's such a great example and why Proverbs include it in, in, in kind of trusting God and in, in all of our ways acknowledging Him is that actually uh, that kind of, I mean, if you think about an, a subsistence, largely subsistence agricultural economy like ancient Israel, that's a very profound act of trust. And we live in, a, in an era of, I mean, unsurpassed material abundance, and it's still really hard for us. You know, it's one of the hardest things to do to trust God practically with our finances and be generous in that way. And, and I, I like to joke, but I think it's true that one of the last parts to become a Christian for many people is their wallet, right? Like if you were, if you, were you know, being baptized, you might hold this thing up out of the water. That's my phone. Don't worry about it. You know, it might, it might not get dunked until later on. It's hard to do. And say what you will, 
about Dave Ramsey, but when I took that class, you know, step one is, all right, get a budget. And the first act of budgeting is actually looking at how much you're going to give each month. So starting with generosity as an act of trusting God. So we've seen that, that wisdom means accepting, accepting the limitations of our own understanding, trusting God, which is knowledge plus obedience. And then finally, we have as our last point, listening to Jesus. And this gets at what's at the very end of our reading from chapter 3 and then jumps all the way to Proverbs chapter 30. And I'll explain the connection that's happening there. And here I need to acknowledge that, you know, the reason that we're doing these readings is, is uh, that we're following the, the scripture passages that were cho- chosen as part of a series on Proverbs that was done at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City and, 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 and the work of, of Tim Keller. And so in crafting these sermons, we're not following what they say and the points that they say in those sermons. Um, uh, but on this last one, I am. And I never would have included this reading from chapter 30 uh, if they hadn't. And I think the reason, and I know the reason it's being included is this, because at the end of our reading in chapter 3, it talks about, well, don't, if you experience God's discipline, don't let that get you down, because God disciplines those he loves. And so, um, you know, so if, if things are going rough for you, or you've, that could be God disciplining you. And, and in general, I think that can be an easy principle for us. We've all been disciplined by our parents, or if we're parents, we've disciplined our kids, and it's not about hating them, it's about loving them. And in life, we know that sometimes we just learn those lessons the hard way. We experience the consequences of our action. And I think most of us could accept that as a form of God's discipline. But then the question is, well, what about when we really suffer? When something is not discipline, you know, that seems like if that was discipline, it's so out of proportion that it would be like abuse. And this is where it's helpful to listen to Uh, chapter 30 of Proverbs and connect it with that understanding of accepting the limits of our understanding. To accept that when when something goes way beyond what we would even consider uh, discipline, that there are things that we just can't understand. And should be careful not to attribute all of our suffering or the, the suffering of another person to God's discipline. Because when we do that, and we say, well, it just, it has to line up just so. If you're suffering, you must have done this. Almost this like karmic law of the universe. We're acting not wisely, but we're being like Job's friends, who in the book of Job keep telling Job, Job, you must have done something to be suffering this badly. And scripture utterly rejects that kind of simple and naive formulation of human suffering. Things are much more complicated and mysterious than that. The words of uh, Agur, and we have no idea who this person is, but what they are is a confession of his ignorance, of the limit of his own understanding. That at the end of the day, there are things that he can't understand. Wisdom that remains beyond his grasp. Depths of wisdom which he will never be able to plumb. And so before God, I recently did a Like Trees Walking podcast on this. It's important to understand, just think about the limitations of human understanding given from the sort of physical structuring of, of even our own brains, Right? Amy was a math teacher. She taught kids. Amazing, great math teacher. If you had placed, and we're also proud cat owners uh, now, adopters and cat owners in our house. If we, had pl- if we place our cat in front of Amy and ask her to teach that cat trigonometry, she's an amazing teacher. She will never be able to teach that cat trigonometry. That's just the way things are. And maybe some of you feel like I sympathize with that cat very strongly. You'll never be able to teach me trigonometry either. Sokotoa. 
let the people understand. All right, so, but th- there's just limitations to what we can know, and that's just the way things are. There's perplexity to existence, limitations to our knowledge, and that's part of embracing limits too. That's true when it comes to why we suffer, you know, why, why not just why bad things happen to good people, but, but why do good things happen to bad people? Why does it happen when even we try our hardest to do the right thing, to live in the right way, you know, to, to follow all the rules, that things go sideways? We can't know. And, 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 and Edgar asks this helpful question. He says, he says, I can't understand because I, you know what I need to understand? He says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? What is his name? Because that's the only person who can, can really understand all the mysteries and perplexities of existence. And we say, well, we're in a privileged position when it comes to Agar. You know, he didn't know, but we do. And we know his name. What's his name? We know his name. Jesus. And as Matt pointed out last week, Paul tells us that Jesus himself, he is the wisdom of God. He's the one who came down from heaven. And so when we don't understand suffering, we look to him as, as the one whose suffering saved us. And when we don't understand why it is when we keep all the rules and we try to live in the right way and, and life still doesn't work out for us, we look to him as the one who literally is the only person ever who perfectly obeyed the law and yet still died under its curse. When we're depressed or we're confused and we're asking, God, where are you in all of this? We look at Jesus as the one who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus is God coming down to assure us that especially when we're lost, we're confused, we're hurting, we can still trust in God with all our hearts. That though in in the words of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, not everything evil that happens is the will of God, he says, yet in the last resort, nothing happens without his will, i.e., Through every event, however untoward, there is always a way through to God. And he wrote that from a a German prison facing a, a Nazi concentration camp. Through every event, however untoward, there is a way through to God. And so that's the deep wisdom of Proverbs, that when we trust in the Lord, there's always a way through because he is with us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please pray with me.